0: This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. So my boys, Ethan and Sean, they're, uh, they're in sixth grade. They just finished their track season yesterday, and one of the highlights for them was winning their four-by-two relay race uh, a week ago. And, and like these guys, they were excited, and rightly so, because uh, they, were, they were just a few seconds away from making it to the Illinois Lutheran Middle School State track meet, not as seventh or eighth graders, but as sixth graders and one fifth grader, wasn't it? So that was pretty cool. And the 4x2, for those of you who don't know, it's a, it's a relay race. It, it's a team event where four people are each individually running 200 meters, one after another. And the key to the relay is the handoff. As each, each runner hands a, a baton off to the next, and then they run their leg, and then they hand it on to the next runner, and they run their leg. And the handoff of the baton is key because if you, if you don't have a, a clean handoff, it's gonna slow you down and it's gonna be hard to catch back up. Uh, but also, if you drop the baton in the handoff, you're disqualified and the race is over. And just as every runner in a relay race has a role to play and shares the responsibility of handing off and passing on that baton to the next runner so they can run their leg of the race. Right? We all have a role to play and share in the responsibility of passing the gospel on to the next generation, uh, of coming alongside our kids and, and helping them know who God is and, and of his love for them and helping them to know all it is that God has done and all it is that God has promised to do as they run their leg in this race along with us. And that's really at the heart of what we refer to here as family ministry. Family ministry we define as our uh, entire church family ministering to and caring for the families of our church. We're essentially carrying out the very thing that that we read this morning uh, in, in Deuteronomy 6 and in Hebrews 10 during child dedications. And, it's, and so for you, if, if this is your church home, this is where you worship, and if we are your church family, we are who you worship with, then by its very nature, you play a vital role in family ministry. And so if you're here this morning and you have children of your own, you have a role to play not just in the lives of your own children, but in the lives of all of our children. If you're here this morning and your children are grown, they are out of the house, and maybe they have children of their own, your grandparents, now, you have a role to play. Not just in caring for your own family, but for our broader family as well, both our children and their parents. And if you or your family don't have children, you have a role to play as well in, in loving on the families of our church. We all have a role to play. And our approach to family ministry, it's, it's important to us as a church. Important enough that we set aside a Sunday uh, each spring and each fall to remind us of what family ministry is, of what makes it important. And also how we go about living this out together. Allowing God's word to shape the way that we live in community together. And that's really, that's really what the book of Deuteronomy is, isn't it? It's, just, it's a reminder. As Moses preaches a series of three sermons reminding the people of Israel at the end of their 40 years of wandering the wilderness. Reminding them of who God is. Right, reminding them of, of what God had done, of, of liberating them from oppression, right? freeing them from over 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and reminding them of all that he was going to do as he led them into the land that he had promised Abraham. But it wasn't only a reminder about God, it was a reminder to them of how they were to live as his chosen people in this promised land. And that's really what we see here in this passage in Deuteronomy 6, a passage known as a Shema. It's a Hebrew word for, for hear, right? The first word in this passage. And it was part of a prayer that was recited every morning and every evening that served as both a reminder and a response, as both a, uh, a confession and a commitment, right? It was a, a confession that reminded them of, of who God is And a commitment that reminded them of how they should respond to who God is, how they should live as his chosen and beloved people. And that's what we're going to see this morning as we look at this passage. We're going to see first a reminder of who God is, and then we're going to see how we should respond to who God is. And so Moses, he begins here in Deuteronomy 6. He begins with a reminder of who God is. He begins with a a confession, if you will. And he's calling out to God's people. He says, hear, O Israel. He's like, listen up, listen up. If you fell asleep, listen up. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. little choppy, isn't it? Kind of like for me, if I were to say, Jill, my wife, Jill is the one. She, among all the wives that exist, that have ever existed, she is. Is my specific wife. She is the the one that I am committed to. She is my one and only, set apart from every other wife. And that's kind of what Moses is doing here. He's reminding them of who their one singular God is from among all the gods that were worshiped in the ancient world, right? From the Babylonian gods worshipped uh, in the days of Abraham to the gods uh, of Egypt in their their days in captivity, that of, of all of these gods, it was the Lord, it was Yahweh who is our God, our Elohim. Elohim is, uh, is the name that we see in the opening verse of Scripture in Genesis 1 as God, as Elohim created the heavens and the earth. It's a name that 19th century Dutch theologian Herman Bavnik says emphasizes his power and his might as creator. And our God, our Elohim, our Creator, He is known by His people by His personal name, Yahweh, the Lord. When you see the Lord in all caps, and it was this name that Moses was to use when he returned to Egypt to free his people and to lead them out of Egypt, saying this to the people, uh, to the people, he says, "The Lord Yahweh." The God Elohim of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, he has sent me to you. He says, this is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So who is our God? Yahweh, the Lord. He is our God. He is our Elohim. He is our creator, and he is one. He's not the first among many gods. As was the case with the Egyptians, uh, whom they had lived among for the last 400 years, where, uh, where Ra, the, their sun god, their, their creator, was really just one of the more important uh, among over 1,500-some gods they were believed to have had. But that wasn't the case with Yahweh. No, he stood alone. And so after crossing the Red Sea, uh, Moses, he sang a song, in Exodus 15. And in this song, he says, he says, the Lord, Yahweh, is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, my Elohim, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. And he says later on, he asks this question. He says, who is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, Yahweh, among all the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds and doing wonders? And our answer is nobody. There is no one like our God. Amen. And That's why God declared to Moses at the top of Mount Sinai in Exodus 20. He says, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. Your God, your Elohim, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, liberating you from oppression. Therefore, here's how you should live. Number one, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. No other gods. And number two, you shall worship no other gods other than me. It is to be me and me alone, God says. And we need this reminder, don't we? We need this reminder of who God is because if we're honest, like we're quick to forget, aren't we? Uh, This week we were talking uh, and I asked Rob, I was like, hey, what passage did you preach last week? And I was actually waiting for him to be like, uh, uh, he knew it was from James. We didn't talk specific chapter verse. We forget things. We forget what we had for breakfast today. We, how did we get here? Who are you people? Well, welcome to Redemption. My name is Ashley. I'm the pastor of the church. So glad you could join us for a special Sunday here. We're quick to forget. We need reminders. We need to hear each other's voice reminding us that that we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, just as Sean confessed in his baptism this morning, don't we? We need to hear that. We need to say that. And and these reminders, they're, they're important not just because we're quick to forget, but because everything that God does flows out of who God is, right? His doing flows out of his being. God loves because he himself is love, the Apostle John writes. His his love is simply an outpouring of his very nature and character. And it is out of this love that God not only created us, but came to rescue us. Which is why we go on to confess in the Nicene Creed of our belief in in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, who for us and for our salvation, he came and he lived. He suffered and he died. He, He rose again, victorious, defeating death, as we looked at a few weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 15. And he ascended into heaven, where today, at this very moment, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, reigning victorious, alive from where he will return and he will renew. And everything that God will do flows out of who God is. God is faithful, faithful to fulfill every promise he has ever made, and he will fulfill them in and through Jesus And so our confession of God, it leads to our commitment to God. This reminder leads us to respond. And Moses, he goes on to show us in this passage, four responses to who God is. And the first, quite simply, is to love God, right? To love God. Look at verse five with me. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. It's a familiar phrase, one that we see Jesus use towards the end of Matthew as he gives the great commandment to love God and to love your neighbor. We respond to God's love that he has displayed, that he has shown us by loving God. Our God, our only God, is the sole object of our worship, having no other gods before him, loving no other gods other than him. And he tells us how we are to love. We are to love with all of our heart, which in the Hebrew um, it represents more than just uh, emotions. It's more in line with what we think of with our mind or our intellect, the, the place where, uh, of our thoughts and our decisions. And he's showing us here that, that love, it's not simply an emotion you feel. No, it is a decision that you make and an action that you take. Choosing, deciding, and acting out and loving God the way he has loved us. Loving our neighbor the way God has loved us. Reflecting his love for us. A love that God did not simply state, but a love that he showed in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise him. We're to love God with all of our heart, but we're also here, he says, to love God with all of our soul. And it's a word that I think kind of conveys really what it is. It's the the entirety of our very being, the entirety of our our life. And we are third, to love God with all of our might. Uh, More literally, to love with all of our very muchness. Meaning this is um, less of a noun and more of an adverb uh, describing the extent of our love, the totality of our love. Eugene Peterson uh, describes it this way, we are to love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. Love him with your everything. And yet far too often we, rather than loving God with our everything, we only love God with our excess. After all of our other commitments to everyone else, we come back and we love God with whatever's left if there's anything left at all. And you all know my theology of leftovers. They ain't any good. They ain't any good. I don't care what you say. Microwaves are nasty. I think God's got a similar theology of leftovers, especially when it comes to love. It's not any good. And so we need this reminder to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our whole commitment. All of our soul, our entire being, and all of our might, loving God without limits, without boundaries. So the first response is to love God. The second response, he says here, is to treasure God's word. Right? to treasure His word. He says in verse six, he says in these words that I command you today, they shall be on your heart. You know it is. It is through His word, by the power of His Spirit. That we come to know who God is, of who he has revealed himself to be in and through Jesus Christ. It's how we come to know how we are to relate to God as his beloved, chosen, adopted children, and to live as his people in this world. And mind you, this is this is about so much more than just knowing about what God's word says about having a few catchy verses uh, stored away for a rainy day, uh, about a nice bumper sticker on your car. It's about more than just having a a verse to respond to somebody to make your argument. In fact, it's not about any of that. Because, you know, um, do you know who's really good at all of those things we just described? Say it out loud, I heard you. Yeah, Satan's real good at that. He's got this whole thing memorized. He knows it better than any of us do. Didn't do him a lot of good, did it? No, God's word, God's word, it, it should be on our hearts, not just in our mind. It should be written on our hearts. The prophet Jeremiah says, etched into our entire being, impacting your every thought, our every action, our every desire, the entirety of our life. And treasuring God's word by living in faithful obedience to his every word. And so we love God. We treasure God's word. The third response is to share God's word, to share it with others. It says in verse 7, "He says, "...you shall teach them diligently," meaning God's words, "...to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise." God gave the primary responsibility of laying the foundation of our children's faith to parents. Simply put, the way we say it, parents are primary. Can you say that one with me? Parents are primary. It's our responsibility as parents to teach our children diligently, it says, with great care it means, pointing our children to Jesus and praying that the Holy Spirit would draw them to Jesus. And I think when we start to think about it, we're like, that feels, can we be honest, feels like an impossible task, doesn't it? It feels impossible. It feels overwhelming. And on your own, guess what? It's an impossible task. And so two questions kind of come up about this time. One is, but I don't know how to do this. You might not have had parents show you how to do this. Well, let's start with this. It starts with treasuring God's word in your own heart. Because you can't share what you haven't first received. You you can't share a love of God you've not received, that you've not embraced. And thankfully, like um, 3,500 years ago when Moses said this, there weren't a lot of resources available. Um, But we're blessed. If anything, we're blessed with too many resources. And it's overwhelming at times. All of the books, the videos, the curriculum, some are good, some are not good. And you're like, how do I know? Well, I'd like to introduce you. Pastor Rob, could you raise your hand? He's right there, he's in the back. Pastor Tim, could you raise your hand? He's, is he, what is it with us and bees? Rob and Megan were getting one over here the other day. I finally figured out what was going. Did you get him? You got him. Okay. He's not gonna sting anybody? Did you get stung? You're good? Okay. That wasn't part of the sermon. There's nothing about bees in this passage. It was a land of milk and honey, though. Is that close enough? Here's the deal, though. If you have questions on how to go about this, man, they want to help you with this. They want to come along and partner with you as parents, walking along this with you as they oversee kids and youth. But we don't just have a question of how, there's another question of like, but I don't know when to do this. Like, my schedule's packed. Like, look, look, look at our schedule, there's like four things and we've got two cars and I don't know how we're gonna make it to all this stuff. Um, we, we, we got work, we got school, we got sports, we got band. Right, there's, there's not enough time for everything else. How are we gonna ever add more into this? Well, what we know, a phrase that we've talked about often here, is that we pursue what we prioritize, don't we? Say that one with me. We pursue what we prioritize. And I don't know if anyone here is actually able to create more time. Uh, We don't have that little time turner that Hermione had. Um, We can't create more time. So the only other option is, is to begin removing our pursuit of other things in order to prioritize our children's faith. Not everything, but some things so that we can prioritize this. Sometimes we're having to deprioritize even good things to prioritize our kids' faith, to help them pursue Jesus and redeeming that time that we do have together. Teaching our children, uh, it says, when we sit in the house together as a family, at the dinner table, on the couch in the evening and when we walk by the way, if you take a walk in the afternoon, or if Moses were telling us this today, he might say, when we, when we drive by the way, on the, on the ride to school, on the, the ride to the store, praying with our children at night, when we lie down, and in the morning when we rise, we share God's word. The fourth response is to live out God's word. Right, to live this out, it's etched in our heart—not just to be known, but to be lived. And he says in verses eight and nine, he says, "You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates." Like that doesn't sound a lot like living out God's word. How'd you come up with that header? It's a problem with a supposed uh, plain and clear reading of our English translation in a way that removes the text from its context is that by default, we tend to read everything in Scripture literally as it is written when not all of Scripture was meant to be read literally. And so while we may understand what the text says, it's easy for us to miss what the text means. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? That, That first we need to understand why the author wrote what they wrote in order to understand what they wrote. Because a misunderstood intention leads to a misunderstood interpretation, doesn't it? And, and many many took this verse very literally, wearing uh, what are referred to as, as phylacteries, these small boxes uh, that they would wear on their head and, and strap to their, their arms, containing uh, many scrolls of Scripture. And then they would hang... Um, Mezuzets, the Hebrew word for doorpost, they would hang these little vials on their door uh, with many rolls of scripture in them and even touch them as they came in and out of the house. But like, that's not what God meant here. Instead, what he wanted was for us to to bind his words in our hands, to bind them in our feet, living out his word in the world and displaying his love to the world as, as his hands and feet reflecting his love, as recipients of his love, as people, Jesus said, that are to be known by our love. And what we see here is is the various spheres that we are to live this out. We're to live it out uh, privately, individually in our daily lives, but we're also to live it out publicly and communally with others and before others in our homes, loving our families, And in the world, as we pass out of our gates, loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, those people that God has placed in our lives, living as a light unto the nations, the prophet Isaiah says. That's the reminder of who God is. That is how we are called to respond to who God is. And now I want to show you how we live this out here how we live this out specifically in what we refer to as family ministry, which, which again, is our entire church family. Raise your hand if you're here this morning. Okay. Our entire church family, not just a select group. Our entire church family ministering to and caring for the families of our church. And we've reviewed this a few times. Some of you are new. Some of you may have missed. Some of us may have forgotten. And so, again, we want to review this every so often. So we've got six foundations of family ministry I want to kind of run us through and remind us of. And the first is incorporating our kids. Say that one with me. Incorporating our kids. We want our kids to grow up knowing what it means to be an active participant in the local church And to be a valued member of the body, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12. So that that when they go on to the next chapter in their life, they want to be and know what it means to be an active participant in the local church. And and if you look at statistics over the last few decades, um, the graph, you don't need to be a math major. It does this. Is that a good trend or a bad trend? It's a good trend if you're trying to lose weight a bad trend if you're trying to pass the gospel on to the next generation and so that's why we do things a little different that's why we we have our our kids in with us at the beginning of the worship service and then we dismiss them and they run like a herd of cattle downstairs um, because they had a whole lot of fun singing with us and they got a whole lot of fun you know those sundays where we can hear them screaming downstairs those are the good happy screams just so you know The good happy screams. but That's why they worship with us. That's why why they serve alongside of us. we We got six kids, I asked Pastor Rob this week, we have six middle school and high school kids that actually serve downstairs in Redemption Kids. We got two more that serve on the welcome team and then Georgia was even running slides the other day. I don't know if you noticed that. If all of a sudden you were like, the slides were like right on. Way to go, Georgia. Now mind you, Chip was right there. Assisting her along the way. Way to go, Dad. Parents are primary. That's the second thing. Say that one with me. Parents are primary. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to invest in the faith of your kids. Uh, Whether it's pastors or teachers or leaders or just friends. And praise God for that. However, no one is going to have a greater impact on the formation of your child's faith and their relationship with Jesus than you, their parent. And that impact may be positive, that impact may be negative. But make no mistake, we are having the single greatest impact on our children. And you know why? It's because we spend the most time with them. We're the ones they spend the most time with. They, And believe it or not, um, my understanding is that by about 13, 14, this kind of fades, um, they look up to us. And not just physically. I'm pretty sure y'all are having some issues here with uh, you looking up to your kids now. Jen and Jason, I know you guys have been for a long time. But they look up to us. And and they're going to learn what it looks like to faithfully follow the way of Jesus by watching you and by following after you. And the things that you prioritize, they're likely, when they grow to be adults, they're likely to prioritize. And so let's, we value our kids, don't we? Yeah? We value their faith, and so let's show our kids we value them by valuing the formation of their faith, by valuing their walk with Jesus, teaching them diligently, talking with them constantly, wherever and whenever, because parents are primary. But as a church, we have a responsibility to come alongside and partner with parents. Say that one with me. Partnering with parents. And so this is, this is really easy to do. A couple things, like show the parents you value them by investing in their children. You can do that by simply by serving in kids, by serving in youth, by serving at family ministry events. But don't just show the parents you value them, show the kids you value them. Uh, I grew up in a day and age, you may remember this phrase, where children were to be seen, not heard. We were a decoration put in the back. I don't want that here. I love the sound of our kids running and yelling and tearing through this building. You might not all like it. I love it. When we're praying out in the lobby sometimes, sometimes there's kids shooting baskets in the gym. Guess what? Do I love that or not? Yeah, love it. Little babies making cooing sounds or even crying in the middle of the sermon because they're sitting in the sanctuary with mom and dad. Love it or not? Love it. Love it. Love it. So we show our kids we value them by inviting them in to our lives, getting to know them. You know, we got this phrase, new to you, right? If you don't know someone's name or you've forgotten someone's name, you can ask them a hundred million, billion, trillion times. And it's the same with kids. It's not like there's an 18-year-old limit. Now, don't be weird around the kids, okay? Um, But like, let's get to know the kids of our church. Um, Let's not just have them be so-and-so's son, Let's also not make the parents so and so's mom and dad. That gets really weird, especially at school, at the park. Oh, you're Sean and Ethan's dad. Yeah, I don't have a name. Let's get to know them. And as pastors and elders, um, we want to show you we value you by helping you with those questions that you have and walking along with you. So, partnering with parents, number three. Number four, one of the ways that we partner with parents is by equipping you to continue the conversation. Say that one with me continuing the conversation. We want to help you to continue the conversation at home that we began on Sunday, whether it's in kids or with youth. And we do this with a number of things. One of the ways we do it, we started this a while back, is uh, with a continuing the conversation card. And uh, this week's story is is about Philip and the Ethiopian, which makes sense. We've got a baptism story on Baptism Sunday. Uh, Way to go, Pastor Rob, in getting that lined up. We do this also with New City Catechism. We're doing it up here. Our kids are doing it down there. We're doing it together. We do this with the weekly family ministry email that we send out uh, each week on Tuesday-ish with links to things like the kids and youth lesson. It has videos you can watch together at home. It has questions you can ask your kids. And the best part is it comes with the answers for you. Uh, And it comes with links for upcoming uh, events that you can register and participate in together together. And then number five is celebrating the milestones. Say that one with me. Celebrating the milestones. This is all the way from child dedications to baptisms and everything in between. And so on uh, Sunday, June 11th, we are going to have our second celebration Sunday. And we are going to celebrate all the kids that are graduating from just about anything and everything. We are all about graduating all kinds of things. And so graduating kindergarten, graduating elementary school, graduating middle school, high school, college, all the graduations. And so if you're a parent and your kid's graduating from something, please let us know because we want to invite you to be a part of Celebration Sundays. We bring the families up and we give the kids an age-appropriate Bible and then we're going to celebrate after service together as a whole church family. And then number six, last but not least, we show our kids how much we value them by creating an environment. Say that one with me. Creating an environment. What kind of environment? I'm glad you asked. It's on the slide, isn't it? You already kind of knew. One, we want to create an environment that is safe. That is safe both physically and spiritually. An environment safe physically where our kids, like, they're being watched over and protected. And we can always take next steps and grow and be better and to help us do that in kids and youth and family ministry as a whole. Um, Amratha and Becca and Rachel, they started a few months ago leading this effort uh, to help make it even safer. But we also want to make it safe spiritually, where they feel safe and comfortable asking questions about their faith, exploring Things. There's no, there's no bad answer, especially in youth. And so, about every few weeks, uh, Tim just has a, a QA session where the kids get to ask questions and they get to explore their faith. We want to place uh, an environment that's safe. We want an environment that is formative, where their faith is being formed and our kids are growing spiritually. And so, down in Redemption Kids, we do this thing where we go through the Bible in a three year cycle. And this fall, we're going to start a new three year cycle through the Bible. And uh, one of the things we added just a few months ago, we added this super awesome timeline that covers like the entire wall. It's actually bigger than it looks on the screen. It's not like your rear mirror where objects may appear big. It's bigger than this. Um, and then those are the lessons all along the bottom that they're going through with their own big ideas, their own verses they're memorizing. They're doing the same things downstairs that we're doing upstairs. And then something new that we're gonna do this July, we're calling it Summer Days at Redemption Kids. It's going to be a two-day camp for our kids and their friends and kids in the community to come and have fun discovering Jesus together. And so that's going to be on Friday, July 28th, and Saturday, July 29th. And all of our kids are invited. All of their friends are invited. We're going to, this is going to be up through fifth grade. And you are all invited to come and help serve as well. And then youth. Let's not forget about youth. We started this last fall. And in youth, Tim spent this first year asking the question, who is God? Uh, We started with a rather basic, simple, easy-to-answer question. Who is God? And last fall, they looked at the the covenants that God made with his people, and they learned the Nicene Creed. And then this spring, they looked at the seven I Am statements in the Gospel of John and and learned the Chalcedonian definition. So this year was about who is God. Uh, Starting this fall, the second year is going to be about who am I? And, and what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And so we want an environment that's safe and an environment that's formative, but let's not forget, we want an environment that's fun. We want our kids to have fun. We want them to interrupt our service because they're downstairs screaming, having a good time, and you're like, I want to go be a part of that. How do I sign up to serve in Redemption Kids? Well, you go find Pastor Robin after service. See how I worked that in? But we want this to be a place where our kids want to be. Not just at service, but at any time. Whenever we're doing something here together. And we want this to be a place where they want to invite their friends to be as well. And so part of that means, like, um, hear me, no worn down, hand-me-down, broken down stuff. Um, A couch that belongs in the landfill does not belong in the youth room. Amen? It belongs in the landfill. And so we... We've cleaned up the rooms. They, they've got good stuff. We even laid, we laid fun carpet. Thank you, Rachel, for fun, colorful designs because we want that, that basement to be fun it, to the point that uh, Ethan, he had his birthday party downstairs uh, in the rec room a few weeks ago, and I tell you what, his friends loved it, uh, and I want all of our kids to love it. I want our kids' friends to love it, and so we're not done. We're always thinking through more ideas, and we got some fun ideas coming up And um, I'm not saying we're going to get a a blow up Gaga Ball pit, but I'm not saying we're not getting it. Uh, We're a part of a a church network called Converge, and about every other month, a group of pastors and I get together, and uh, we may have played uh, Gaga Ball in a blow up Gaga Ball pit right in the middle of uh, that church's sanctuary, and it was great. We got some fun ideas, we got some fun events coming up too. Uh, Each month we try and have uh, something that we can all do together. Again, raise your hand if you're here today. Uh, You were invited to these events. If you didn't raise your hand, you're still invited to these events uh, where we can have fun together. And so on Friday, May 26th, uh, we're gonna play kickball out in the backyard. All of us. And then on Sunday, uh, June 11th, we're not only going to have Celebration Sunday, but it's going to be our first summer Sunday. This is our third summer of doing this, where once a month we get together out in the front yard. Everybody brings their own lunch, and we have a big uh, hangout picnic together. And uh, we're going to try and have some cake and ice cream to celebrate all of the graduations that we're celebrating that Sunday. And so here's the deal. If, if this is your church home, if this is where you worship, and we are your church family. We are who you worship with. You have a role in ministering to and caring for the families of our church, all the families of our church. Because as the African proverb says, it really does take a village to raise a child, doesn't it? It takes a village. It takes a family. And so forming the faith of our kids and helping them to follow Jesus, it's a significant responsibility, one that we bear together together as a family, because that's who we are. We are a family that faithfully follows the way of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.